Thank you, choir, orchestra, for leading us in that time of praise and worship through song this morning. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Good to see all of you today. I'm glad that you braved the rain to get out this morning uh, and uh, come together for our time of worship today. Let me share with you this before we get into prayer this morning and then we open the Word of God to study. I got a text this morning from Chanley Gilbert and he said that his mother, Miss Janelle, is in the hospital out here in Chipley and uh, it looks as though her days here on earth uh, are numbered. And so we do want to pray for the Gilbert family and pray for God's grace uh, in their lives and comfort and peace. And uh, we also rest in the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So please remember the Gilbert family. Well, let's pray together as we prepare to further worship this morning by getting into the Word of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, there's no possible way that I can deliver your Word without you. And so I'm constantly in need of you every day, Lord, in every aspect of life I need you. And Lord, today, Father, I, I know that there's a serious moment when we gather for worship and we gather to to hear the word. And I know that I'm not able to do this on my own. I know that I need the strength and the power and the ability that you supply. So I pray, Lord God, that you will grant that to me now and give me that clarity of mind and that clarity of speech to enable me to deliver the truth. Lord, and I pray that you will open the hearts and minds of all in this room and those who are connected with us online this morning. I pray for your word to penetrate hearts and minds. I ask you, Lord, to make very clear how this text, how this message is to be applied to everyone's life. Uh, Lord, this is serious business when we hear the Word of God and we're to take the Word and live it out. And so help us to do that. And so I commit this time to you, and I do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, people in our culture today battle discouragement a great deal. Now, I suspect it's always been that way to a certain degree. Throughout time, people have battled discouragement. Often, our happiness and our hopefulness in life is dependent upon our circumstances. When things are good for us, circumstantially, then there's a happiness about us, a joy about us. There's a hopefulness about us. But when things are not so good, things get difficult. There's some major trials and tribulations that we face sometimes we let that rob us of joy. It causes us to be very hopeless. And so, as a believer, we need to understand that our circumstances are not to dictate our hopefulness nor our level of joy and peace that we experience because um, our hope and our joy is not based on what's happening around us. Our joy and our hope is based on and embedded in who we are in Jesus Christ and what He has given to us. Last week, we studied in the book of Hebrews, verses 1 through 18 of chapter 10. And in those verses, we saw a summary of the gospel work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I entitled the message last week, The Gospel According to Hebrews. And we talked about the fact that because of the sufficient and effective sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, when it is applied, it makes us perfect so that we can have a relationship with the one true God. And it's in that relationship with the one true God that we take a constant hopefulness, that we can have a constant joy, a constant peace uh, through that relationship with Him. Now, the writer of Hebrews was encouraging 
these early Christians to stay faithful to the Lord because their circumstances were putting pressure on them not to be so joyful, not to have a great deal of hope. Matter of fact, they were contemplating walking away from a deep and devoted walk with Jesus Christ. That would be a tragic mistake for them to do that. And so the writer of Hebrews is laying out the superiority and greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ in this book. And he's letting them know there's nothing in Judaism, there's nothing in this world greater than Jesus. And so what you're to do is stay faithful to him, endure with him, because that's where your hope uh, comes from. Now, uh, what we find here in, in the Word of God is a deep encouragement as to how we're to live now that we know Christ. Now that we have this great salvation, this fact that we've been forgiven, remember, Christ's sacrifice is sufficient and effective to forgive us of all sin, past, present, and future. And when we come into a relationship with Him, uh, our sin is taken away, the Word of God teaches us. But not only are we cleansed of sin, we are also made righteous in the sight of God. Because remember, I told you last week that when we are joined to Christ, our sins are taken away, and He remembers our sins and lawless deeds no more. But also, He looks at us in the righteousness of Christ. Because the righteousness of Christ, the obedient life of Christ, is also attributed to those who are joined to Christ in faith. So how are we to live once we understand that, once we've been converted, once we have this great hope in Jesus Christ. Well, that's what these verses for today are teaching us. So look with me in your Bible. Verse 19 is where we begin. 19 through 25, Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh... And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. There's the first exhortation or command we're given uh, in terms of being saved. What are we to do? We are to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, we find a second command. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, we find a third command. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching." Now, here's the main idea of this text this morning that I want to bring you, and that is that no matter how difficult life may get, because of what Jesus has done for us, we have hope and a responsibility to God and to one another. Now, the first three verses of this passage summarize what the writer of Hebrews has been teaching from about chapter 4, verse 14 on. And he's summarizing again the work of Christ to bring us to God. And he gives us some realities. I want you to look in your Bible at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The word having there is a present tense participle in the original language. That means we keep on having this 
This is a constant reality for people who have been saved. We have constant access boldly to the presence of God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice in verse 20, by a new and living way. There's another present tense participle. So we continually have this way into the presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm talking to you about this morning, if you're a saved person, now listen to me, if you're a saved person, here's a reality for you. You have constant access to the presence of God. There would have been a lot of amens on that one, right? We have constant access to the presence of God. So because of that, we should be deeply encouraged because that's radically different from those under the old covenant. Now remember, under the old covenant, there was only one person that went into the presence of God. Remember, in the tabernacle, you had the holy place, and then you had the most holy place. The most holy place was a 15 foot squared little box in there, and the Ark of the Covenant sat in there, and that represented the presence of God. And only one time a year, the high priest would enter into that holy of holies to offer a sacrifice for his own sins first and then for the sins of the people, the Day of Atonement, remember? And when he went into that room, he went in with absolute fear and trembling. Because if he didn't get every detail right that he'd been instructed to do, then he would die as he entered behind the veil into the presence of God. It was a terrifying thing. But now, the Word of God teaches us here that those of us who've had the sacrifice of Jesus Christ applied to us, we have bold access to God. As a, as a child burst into the presence of a loving Father, that's what you and I have as the people of God. That's what we have as the children of God who have been washed clean and our sins have been taken away because of what Jesus did for us, and it was applied by, by faith. And so He is the way, Jesus is. He is the way into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 8 tells us that under the old covenant, the way into the presence of God, the way into the holy of holies was not yet provided. But here we see that Jesus has provided that way, and that's why Jesus said this of Himself in John chapter 14 and verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way we have access to God. Now notice in verse 20, the Word of God says, by a new and living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil. That is His flesh. Now, what we have here is an allusion back to that veil I was just talking about that's found in the tabernacle, later the temple that cordoned off the area that was designated for the presence of God where the sacrifice was brought in for the Day of Atonement. That, that place was separated off, and people did not have access to that, that place. But what we see here is He consecrated the way to God uh, for us, and, and the Word of God says that He did so through the veil. Now, uh, again... That speaks of that veil around the, the temple. That was a, this is an allusion to that. In Matthew chapter 27, the Bible tells us that when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross, He cried out with a loud voice. I think there were two things said kind of back to back, and then He died. We find in John's gospel that He cried out, It is finished. 
We find out in Luke's gospel that he said, um, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Matthew's gospel said that he yielded up his spirit. That is, he died. And when he died, Matthew chapter 27 lets us know, as does Luke's gospel, that there was a great earthquake that took place, but there was something very significant that happened within the temple. Within the temple at that holy of holies where that veil cordoned off the presence of God, the Word of God says that from very top to bottom, that veil was torn in two. From top to bottom signifying that it was God Himself who tore that veil. He tore that veil because... Christ was torn for us. And it was symbolic of this fact. Now we have access to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And that's what's being communicated and we're reminded of here in this great text. And so those who have come to Christ through faith in Him now have access to the very presence of God, bold access to the presence of God. But then verse 21 tells us something else is encouraging. We also have a high priest who's over the house of God. The word over there means he has authority. He is head of the house of God. Who's the house of God? That means all, all of us who are saved. He's over uh, those who are saved. But we also learn, matter of fact, take a left in your Bible. Flip back over to chapter 4 real quick. Chapter 4 and look at verse 14. Now you're going to see a lot of parallels in this chapter uh, and this text in chapter 4 with the text for today. But look what the Word of God says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, we see that same command here in the text for today, hold fast our confession of hope in verse chapter 10. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows exactly the human experience because God became flesh and dwelt among us. The Lord Jesus, being God the Son, dealt with what we deal with. He, he was tempted in every way, yet unlike us, He did not sin. But because He went through this, He is the constant help for His people. He's constantly advocating for us. He's constantly interceding and praying for us. He is ministering to us, empowering us, so that we live the way we're called to live as His people. So that's who we are in Christ. We've been forgiven. We've been made righteous. The Bible tells us also in other places we've been adopted into the family of God. We have an eternal inheritance. The book of Hebrews emphasizes this eternal inheritance that we have. We have a great high priest who right now is helping you, and he's helping me every day uh, live for him. Now, with that in mind, no matter what the world's circumstances are, and they're kind of tough for us now, they, more so than any other time in recent history for sure, because many of us grew up when there was a greater level of, of, of uh, Christian culture about our, our country. But today we see that gone away, and we see an increasing hostility toward the things of God, and, and Christians are having to be faced with 
here in America with some opposition that we've not faced, many of us, in our entire lives until these recent years. I'm just going to tell you something. I've seen Christians and some that I know, uh, that I know very well who, who have compromised great Orthodox Christian teaching because of the pressures of culture. And what I want you to know is that's not what we're to do. The Word of God was warning those Hebrew Christians so long ago not to do it. And the Holy Spirit's using the same passage to warn Christians today. Don't do it. Don't you back up. Don't you walk away. You stay faithful to Jesus. There are three commands given in this text. I emphasized them as we read through the text together, but let's talk about them now individually. First of all, how is it we're to live in this culture we're in? Well, number one, we're to do so by drawing near to God. That's what verse 22 teaches us. Let us draw near. That implies drawing near to God. It reminds us a lot of verse 16 of chapter 4 that I just read to you a moment ago. After receiving Christ as Savior and Lord, we go throughout our entire lives drawing near to God. This verb that's translated draw near is a present tense verb. That means you keep on drawing near. You get up in the morning, you draw near to God. Throughout the day, you're drawing near to God. At night, you're drawing near to God. It's a practice of life. It's an intentional practice. Because I'm going to tell you something. If we just coast in this Christian life, we don't automatically draw near to God. We must draw near to God intentionally. Because if we just coast, I'll tell you what's going to happen to us. We're going to drift away. That's what Hebrews chapter 2 was warning us about in verse 3. There has to be an intentional focus to draw near to God. Now, we're told in this text uh, how we're to, or, or, or what manner it is that we're to come and draw near to God. Notice in your Bible in verse 22, it says, with a true heart. That means without, without any division of loyalty. Do you know you cannot be living with one foot in the world and one foot in the things of God? You can't do that. Both feet have to be in Jesus. <laughs> we, we, we have to be all in if we're going to draw near to God. But then notice also the Bible says here we're to draw near in full assurance of faith. That is, we have absolute confidence in our access to God and in our salvation because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll notice in verse 22, it says here, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, that describes the the cleansing work of Jesus in us when He saved us. There's Old Testament language used here because in the Old Testament, oftentimes there'd be sprinkling of blood to purify something or there'd be a washing uh, to, to ceremonially cleanse someone. And that's what's being talked about here. Through Jesus Christ, our conscience is cleansed. It's sprinkled with blood. means it's purified because our sin's taken away. Our bodies are washed. That speaks to the fact that we're changed inwardly and it affects our outward actions. When you get saved, you change. Isn't that right? You don't stay the same. Your life is different. And there's to be a pursuit of God. So we're to draw near to God. Why would we abandon Him? Why would we compromise the truth of God to follow a deceived culture or our own defiled desires? Why would we do that? What we are to do is draw near to God. 
Now, we do that in two ways. We do that corporately and we do that privately. You know what we're doing today by being here? We're drawing near to God. Now, that's the first step of it. But I'll tell you this. There's plenty of people who sit in a church seat and they're not near God. Nor are they drawing near God. They're just here. They're just going through the motions. But they're not drawing near to God. But we gather here to draw near to God corporately, to worship Him through song, to hear His Word, to fellowship with each other and build each other up. All of that helps us draw near to God. But I also want you to know that each of us are to draw near to God privately also. Now, how do we do that? What are some practical steps to drawing near to God? Let me give you six. Number one, a surrendered life. Now, I've already talked about that somewhat. When the Scripture tells us here that we draw near to God with a true heart, again, that means to be undivided in our loyalties. We're to be sold out to Him. James 4, 8. Write this verse down and look at this later. James 4, 8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Notice the word double-minded there. You know what that means? That means an untrue heart and mind. That means somebody that's got one foot in the world and one foot in Christ or is trying to do this little tightrope act kind of thing where you're, you're not fully in. Well, I'm gonna, let me give you a little bit of an example from my own personal life. As the Lord was dealing with me, He put me under conviction. I remember there was... One sermon I heard on the first Sunday we visited this church that my parents had asked me to go to, and as I, as I visited and I sat and listened to the Word of God, I immediately began to be pierced by God's Word. It exposed me, exposed my sin, and, and, and the Spirit of God began to draw me and work in me and pull me toward Him, and I was resisting, and I was saying, Lord, I want to keep this, but I will give up this. Can we make that deal? And that was the battle going on for several months. And as the intensity of the, of the Holy Spirit's drawing and pressure and conviction was mounted up on me till I came to a point where it was no longer making any deals. But you can't make a deal with God. It's His way. He's God. We best just acknowledge that and submit to Him. And so I surrendered to him and repented and said, okay, Lord, I want, I want you to have all of me. I, I just want to serve you. I just pray for your forgiveness. I pray for your redemption. And my life was changed. That The weight of sin was lifted off of me. And once we're saved, there's temptation sometimes to, to, to get pulled into the world and get off over here and not draw near to God. But the Word of God's teaching us this. Christians are meant to be wholeheartedly surrendered to God. That's what we're meant to be. And it's through that surrender that we can draw near to God. And again, it's intentional. Let me give you some verses. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, I say then, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Seek in verse 1, set in verse 2 are both present tense verbs commanding us to continually go after these things. There's a responsibility you and I have as Christians. 
to draw near to God through a surrendered life. But let me show you a second thing that's necessary for this to happen, and that's repentance. If you noticed in, in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That speaks of repentance. And we're turning away from sin. We're going to war against our sin, and we want to no longer be involved in that. We want to, we want to pursue the things of God. Now, I'm going to tell you what Satan will do. Because of our mess-ups, he'll try to convince you that you can't draw near to God anymore. Let me just tell you something. You don't draw near to God based on what you've done. You draw near to God based on what Jesus did, who gives us access to God. Now, now listen, we have to confess our sins at times because we hinder our fellowship with God if we don't. The Scripture talks about that. But there's repentance needed so often in us drawing near to God. A third thing we need to understand is we draw near to God through prayer. Matter of fact, the verb draw near is a verb that often implies the practice of prayer. It means fervent prayer. It means genuine focused prayer. Not the ritualistic prayers that we can mindlessly pray without even knowing what we've just said. Through muscle memory, we just spew off a few words and then we go about our day. That's not the kind of praying that you draw near to God on. It's focused prayer. It's understood prayer. That's why the Bible says when we pray, we ought to be alert. You know what that means? That means that we're alert to what to pray for. And we pray for those things with an understanding, and we can see God answer it because we had clarity when we was praying it. Does that make sense to you? You know why some of us never see God answer prayer? Because our prayers are so general, it's hard for us to even see it. Or we just go through the motions. We don't even remember what we prayed. Now, for some of us, as we get a little older, we might have full knowledge of what we prayed when we prayed it, then we don't forget about it about 10 minutes later. <laughs> I can, I know what, that's why we write it down. That way we would go back and say, oh yeah, <laughs> I prayed this. And I praise God because He answered it. Prayer is essential. But a fourth thing is we engage in the Word of God. We engage in the Word of God. Um, <clears throat> nobody grows spiritually without the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 tells us that we're to crave the Word of God like a newborn baby craves milk that we might grow thereby. Nobody grows without the Word of God. But if you get in the Word and you study the Word and you meditate on the Word and you obey the Word, you know what happens to you? You grow. Your life transforms. You become more like Jesus. Sometimes... I can just read my Bible, and I mean read it taking it in, not just glance through it. I'm talking about reading it and taking it in. And sometimes I just feel the strengthening of God. You know what I'm talking about? You're reading the Word of God, and you can just sense the presence of God. You're, you're drawing near to God and His Word. Do you know that you also do not know how to worship God apart from the Word of God? That's why that we understand that the Word of God is the centerpiece of our worship of God. Now, Baptists have always been that way, and there are many other denominations or Christian traditions that are too, but I'll tell you this, you're not going to know how to worship God without the Word of God. 
You get in the Word and you, you see things about God. You learn things about Him. You learn what it means to worship Him in fullness. Sometimes we have the idea that all there is to worship is coming and singing a few hymns or a few worship songs and, and uh, you know, getting excited about that. That's part of worship. That's, we see that throughout the Psalms. The Psalms were put to music and used to sing praises to God. The Bible tells us that we're to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord in Ephesians and Colossians. That's part of it, but that's not the whole of worship. The whole of worship is a surrendered life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so as we get in the Word, our minds are transformed, our whole worldview begins to change, it begins to be one shaped by the Word of truth. We begin to transform, not conform to this world, but be transformed. And it happens because we get in the Word. So we've got to engage the Word if we're going to draw near to God. But then here's the fifth thing, and that is, that is worship in the most basic sense, which is praise to God, which is thanksgiving to Him, which is uh, giving uh, exalted a voice to Him and, and praising Him. And we, we worship that way. And then finally, we draw near to God by obeying Him. You want to mess up drawing near to God, then disobey. And that hinders that closeness with Him. The Bible says in John chapter 15 and verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now, to abide in His love and draw near are really synonymous. Because when you draw near and you abide in the love of Christ, it means that you're in a place where you have fellowship with Him, you receive the blessings that He's pouring out on your life, you're in the best spot for you to experience what God has for you when you are abiding in His love. It's drawing near to Him. And you know how the Lord Jesus taught that we do that? By obedience. It's through our obedience. When we draw near to God, we draw near to Him for deliverance from temptation. When we draw near to God, we draw near to Him for power for the Christian life. And do you know when we draw near to God, we withdraw from the ways of the world. And when we do that, then we can engage our culture more effectively. Are y'all with me on that? Let me put this another way. You don't reach the world by being like the world. You reach the world by being different from the world. We're different from the world because we draw near to God. 
We're not shaped by what this culture teaches us. We're shaped by the word of truth. The Lord Jesus, John chapter 17, chose us out of the world, but then he also told us in that same chapter, he sent us back to the world. Matter of fact, when he prayed for Christians, he didn't say, Father, take them out of the world. He just said, deliver them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one because we're here to engage the world with the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Not, not go up on a mountain somewhere and stay away from everybody as much as we possibly can, but to draw near to God and then become so effective in our witness to the culture around us because we've drawn near to God. What are we to do in a day like today? Draw near to God. But a second thing we're to do is this. We're to hold fast to our hope, verse 23. There's a temptation in days like we live to want to jump on every cultural, ideological bandwagon you can think of and just, and just get away from orthodox Christian teaching that, that seems like everybody in the culture is, is against. And there's a lot of Christians today that have abandoned um, great Christian teaching, and they're accepting what the world's, what the world's teaching a part of our hope is this. Despite what the world's teaching, what we do is hold fast to our Christian faith and the whole body of Christian teaching. The Bible lets us know in this very book, in chapter 13, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Culture's constantly changing. What people accept and don't accept is changing all the time. But what I'm telling you is the Word of God stands forever. And what we're to do is hold fast to that hope. And I tell you this, when we do that, we're holding fast with this recognition. There's absolutely nothing this world has to offer us in comparison with what our Lord offers us. You with me? Here's how Paul put it. He said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He called the suffering that he faced while he was here, all the opposition toward the things of God that he faced, Go to 2 Corinthians 11 and read what all he went through. Multiple times he was beaten and put in prison. He faced dangers all the time. He, he experienced tragedies. He considered all those things light affliction that was temporary. But what he said is, what's coming is a far superior weight of glory. He was holding on to his hope. Some today are, are not doing that. And that's why, they, for instance, um, there are professing Christians who abandon the biblical truth and the biblical view of, of, um, of sexuality. And they will abandon that because of their own personal desires or because of what everybody in the culture is telling them to do. And... Listen, here's what Christians are meant to do. If our own personal desires contradict the Word of God or the world itself 
the viewpoints and the belief system is contradictory to to the Word of God. Here's what we're called to do. We're called to die to ourself and embrace the truth of God. Not abandon the truth of God and chase after the ever-changing principles of the world. That's what we're called to do. Hold fast. Because we know we have a sure hope. The Bible tells us we're to do it without wavering. That means don't bend to the right or to the left. You stay straight. You stay focused. You hold fast to your hope. And you know why he say, what he says here in verse 23? He says, he who promised is faithful. The world is not faithful. Your flesh is not faithful. The devil is not faithful. God is faithful. The one who promised us this great <clears throat> hope, he's faithful. So we're to hold fast our confession of hope. But then finally, notice this. A third command We're to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, verse 24 and 25. We've got a responsibility to God to draw near to Him and to hold fast to our hope, but then we also have a responsibility to one another. And that responsibility is to encourage one another. That responsibility is to consider one another. That means pay close, purposeful attention to Stirring up other believers to love and good works. That is, to be involved in Christian love and to do good works. Now, good works means a holy life, righteous conduct, and our witness for Him, our service for Him. All of that is wrapped up in, in what great and good works mean. Now, <clears throat> where does this happen? Well, the Word of God here says this happens when we gather together for what we call church. It's when we go to church. This happens in our gathering. God's designed the church gathering to be a primary place for this to occur. Now, sometimes people will say, well, I don't think I have to go to church to be a Christian. Um, Well, to be an obedient one, you do. Let's put it that way. (laughs) It should be such a priority for us to gather with the people of God. Now, the day in which we live in, we have made this time just a, you know, one of those things that we can do and maybe not do. And so we'll just, you know, if, if our third cousin's having a birthday on Sunday morning, then we'll just say, okay, well, you know, third cousin's having a birthday. We'll just go and fellowship with them and not think anything about missing the gathering of believers. We will oftentimes miss weeks after weeks after week after week for, for various things. And we don't think it's that big a deal to do that. But what I'm telling you is it is a serious thing because the Word of God tells us we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's what was happening here in, among these Hebrew Christians. Some had stopped coming to the gathering. And they'd stopped coming to the gathering probably because of cultural pressure. So they were afraid to come. But what I'm telling you is this. What this text commands us to do, you cannot do unless you gather regularly with the people of God. You cannot be obedient to this command unless you are regularly drawing together 
with the people of God to encourage one another, to incite one another. That word stir up is a word that can be negative, um, to mean provoke or, in, or incite, or it can be positive. It's positive here. It means a strong motivation, to motivate people to love and good works. Now, y'all still with me? I'm about to land this plane, so y'all better be listening now. You ready? I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. I've learned a lot about the tactics of the enemy over the years, and there's some things he'll do, and I've got several applications of the way he'll do this, but I'm going to apply it to what I'm talking about from this text today. The enemy will often put thoughts in our minds. I believe he has the clear ability to put thoughts into the minds of the people of God. Now, I do not believe the enemy can possess the people of God. No demonic force, I I do not believe, can possess a child of God. But he can sure tempt us. He can sure put thoughts in our minds. He can sure oppress the people of God. Sometimes what he'll do is he'll put a thought in your mind or my mind about a person. And by that thought, we'll begin to make a definition of that person. Sometimes it's based on an interaction we've had with that person or observation we've had of that person. And so we'll form an opinion about that person. And that, that opinion that we have will form an attitude about that person. And then that attitude will drive our actions toward that person. And what will often happen is the action that we're driven to do, that we're tempted to do and we give into, is we don't like that person and we stay away from that person. We don't interact with that person. And I'll tell you this, if you don't interact with that person, you can't do what this text says. You can't encourage them. You can't stir them up to love and good works. Matter of fact, one of the ways we stir people up to love and good works is to love them. And loving is something you don't do from a distance. Loving is something you do up close through kindness, through patience, through forgiveness, through exhortation into their lives. That's how that takes place. And that's what we're called to do in the body of Christ. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes people come to church with an absolute focus on self. I dare anybody to bless me today. (laughs) I dare the music ministry to touch my hard heart today. I I dare for that preacher to say anything that's going to move me in any way toward God. I dare you. That's how we come. And, And instead of coming with this understanding, I need to consider how I'm going to encourage others today. When's the last time we've done that? When's the last time you've had that mindset? I'm going to encourage people today. I want to speak to them. I want to talk to them. I want to spend time with them. I want to to encourage them. That should happen in our Sunday school, our connect groups, our corporate worship as we're serving together, as we're walking together. See, what I pray is that we would be so impacted here on Sundays that we couldn't forget about what happened here on Sunday all week long. That we're still thinking about it. The time we experienced in worship, the time that the Word of God spoke to our hearts, the time we were encouraged by brothers and sisters in Christ. But sometimes what happens is we talk about each other. 
Sometimes connect groups or Sunday school is spent just gossiping about one another. Or we're involved in some area of work together. So we just tell this about that person and this about this other person. And, and we're poisoning everybody else's minds toward these people instead of, instead of thinking about how can we stir one another up to love and good work. See, what we end up doing is being used by the enemy. Because we're not wise to his devices. And we don't understand the word of God. It tells us what we should be doing in these instances. Verse 25 lets us know that we're to exhort one another in the gathering. But not only does this take place in the gathering, but it also takes place with this understanding that we should be doing this and all the more as the day of the Lord approaches. That means the coming of the Lord, which is a motivation. Let me ask you this. If Jesus came today, how would he find your heart toward others? If he came today, how would he find, would he find us encouraging one another or always downing each other? What we're to do is to encourage one another. Now, that doesn't mean we can't correct each other and those kind of things because that's part of the Christian life too. But we have to... We have to make time to encounter each other, spend some time with one another to encourage and build each other up. Because I tell you this, we have a great hope and we're facing pressures today that every Christian needs encouragement. Let me ask you a question. Do you need encouragement? Anybody who needs encouragement, raise your hand. All of us do. We all need some encouragement. And that's what we're called to do as we gather together with the people of God. So we're to draw near to God, we're to hold on to our hope, and we're to encourage one another. Today, it may be that what we need to do is begin to pursue drawing near to God. That we surrender our lives to Him, that we confess the sin that has kept us from that, and we start drawing near to God. Maybe we're being faced with a temptation to compromise with the world, but here's what the Word of God's saying to us today. Hold on to your hope. We need to encourage one another. So maybe there's people on your mind right now you need to go encourage today. Or maybe when we start talking in groups and we're starting to down this person and down that person that we ought to just say, hang on, you know, let's don't do that. You know, we're not called to do that. Let's see how we can encourage one another. That's what we ought to be doing as the people of God. Now, there could be some in this room today who need to be saved. You've never called on Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to encourage you today, if you believe that you're in sin and separated from God and you know you need Jesus and you're willing today to call on Him to be your Lord and Savior... I'm going to invite you to come as we stand to sing and you meet me down front and just say to me, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Will you do that? The altar area is open for us to come and pray today. Let's take what we've heard and let's live it out. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this message. I thank you for how it works in us. I pray, Lord God, you've spoken to us today. Now I pray that we obey what you've said to us. So I'm asking for there to be a move of your spirit in our lives and that we just have a clear understanding of how we're to apply this. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do.
Lord, work now in a mighty way. And I pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand, please.